0: Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Well, I hope you brought a Bible because I am just super excited about today's message. Uh, If you did, open it up to Mark chapter 1, that's Matthew, Mark, second uh, gospel in the New Testament. And then we're going to go to Luke, the very next one to the right. So Mark chapter 1, then Luke chapter 5. For those of you that are just joining us, or maybe you've kind of been a little sporadic, uh, we've been in this season-long series of studies. And so it's like three little mini studies all wrapped up around this one subject. We started in January and we're talking about this big idea called a the theology of place. And it's that God has designed for every one of us to live our lives walking in and out and through three different places uh, that, are, that, that, are, that are important, essential for our life. So we spent the month of January talking about this concept of the secret place. And really that's about what does it mean to go into God, in, in, into a time of conversation with God and open up the deepest part of who we are, and, and, and feel completely trust, trustworthy, feel completely vulnerable to him, and know that he loves us, he accepts us, but he wants to talk with us, he wants to connect with us at the deep level. And we talked about how important that was, we looked through scripture. Well, part of the reason that the secret place is so important is because it really preps and readies you for the next place, and that's called the gathering place. And we spent the month of February talking about how important this idea of the church is to Jesus. He started it. It was his idea. And this is what he, one of his big assignments that he's working on is building his church. And so the gathering place is where a group of believers that are like-minded in faith and will come together and get under a banner of a specific assignment that the Lord has in a local area, local environment. And we'll begin to leverage our strengths and, and encourage one another and sharpen one another and challenge one another so we can continue to grow forward. Once you're in the secret place, you're kind of filled up. Once you get to the gathering place, you have something to give, you have something to receive, and it kind of start, keeps the life cycle going and it teaches us how do we live uh, in in harmony with with each other. But then we get to the last one and that's where we're going to start today. We want to talk about the public place because the secret place prepares you for the gathering place and the secret place and the gathering place then prepares you to be able to go out into the public place and be that salt and be that light and be that witness that Jesus challenges us to, to, uh, to be about. So, we, we want to look at, look at the Great Commission, and we're not going to spend any time on that today, but the Great Commission is, uh, we're seeing in Mark's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, it's Jesus telling all of his followers, not just those at the time, but he even says in an earlier prayer, I'm not just talking to them, I'm talking to all who will believe in me through their message. And so the Great Commission is that we're, we're, we're sanctioned we're required, we're assigned to go into all the world and bring this good news of what God wants to do in people's lives, but not just to preach to get people saved. It says, and make disciples. And so here's what that tells us, that we're involved in the Great Commission on, on the giving end, on the engaging end, but we're also always involved in the Great Commission on the, on the transformation end. Because even though we get saved and that launches us into the family of God and we become active in the Great Commission, we'll always be becoming disciples. And so the great commission is get people saved and then make disciples, teach them how to follow Jesus. And that part of us, we're helping to teach people, but we're always, always, always learning. And so when we come to that, we, we begin to understand that it's important that we, we look at scripture and, uh, and we say, so what, what is our part in the Great Commission? So before we, we go any further, I want to kind of talk, I want to tell you a story. I should be familiar to everybody, but it's this allegory that kind of spans time and, and crosses culture, and it's called the Drowning Man. You've probably heard of it once I get started. It's this guy who finds himself, he's caught in a flood. And so he crawls up to his roof on a second story house and he prays and says, okay, God, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this, but I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm trusting you. You got to save me. And not long after that, along comes a guy in a rowboat and he's rowing and he says, hey, 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 I see you're stuck. He said, jump in and, and I'll, I'll row you to, to safety, you know, like I, like I have others. And the guy said, no, no, I'm okay. God's going to save me. And so, okay. So off the rowboat guy goes for looking for somebody else. Here comes a motorboat, part of the rescue squad uh, a little bit later on. And and they say, Hey, we see you up there. We're going to send somebody up to bring you down and get you. We're going to get you to safety. And he says, no, no, you don't need to worry about it. God's going to save me. And so they're like, well, okay. And so they take off. Not long after that, a helicopter comes. And the helicopter, you know, speaks over the loudspeaker and says, we're lowering a ladder and we're gonna send somebody down to pull you back up and rescue you. No, no, you don't need to do that. God's gonna save me. Well, it wasn't long after the helicopter left that the floods continued to rise and the guy drowned. And he gets inside heaven's gates and he asks God, what's up? I asked you to save me. I trusted you to save me. Why didn't you save me? And God responded to him, I sent a rowboat. I sent a motorboat. I said, a helicopter, what else would you like me to do? Now, I want to put a twist on that story this morning, okay? What if you and I were the rowboat? What if you and I were the motorboat? What if you and I were the helicopters that God was sending and we decided, nah, we're not going? And what if the guy, instead of refusing, what if he would have climbed into the the boat, Climbed into the motorboat, climbed into the helicopter, and he would have been rescued. But instead, he waited and waited and waited and eventually drowned, finally realizing no one else is coming. No one's coming. I, I don't know how to get out of this, and it's going to take me down, and no one's coming. If you think about it like that, there, there's a really weighty truth here that's really, really important, and that is that you and I are the ones that are sent. And if we think about it in a very narrow way, nobody else is coming. It's you, it's me, we're the salt, we're the light. We're the witness in the world. We're the ones that have been assigned to be ambassadors to engage this great commission to take God's rescue story all around the world. And if we refuse to go in one sense, no one else is coming. Now, now let me just clarify real quick so that some of you are already, you know, getting all theological on me. Listen, I'm not saying that the entirety of anyone's eternal destiny lies on your shoulders. That's not true. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's not our job. But what is absolutely true and scripturally right is that you and I sign up to be born again and rescued into God's family to spend eternity in heaven. And part of our enlistment is that we'll turn around and rejoin the rescue effort and we're sent. And if we refuse to go in a very personal sense where we're concerned, nobody else is coming. And it's really important that we not treat this casually. It's really important that we stop and we say, hey, listen, th- th- we, we, we have to engage this. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not insensitive to and I'm not ignorant to the fact that every Christian already knows this, right? I've never met a Christian yet that wouldn't raise their hand and say, we're, we're supposed to be sharing, the, sharing our faith. I mean, in fact, let, just informal poll here. If you think that's a Bible truth, we're supposed to be sharing our faith. That's just part of it. Let me see your hand. Yeah, and universal, maybe some of you that didn't, probably you're not paying attention, not because you disagree, because it couldn't be clearer. Okay, but here's something that we also know, if we're going to be really honest, most Christians don't like to do it. And and there's there's a number of reasons that they feel justify this, or at least justify it enough, where they can kind of push it to the back and get preoccupied with something else so they don't have to think about it until someone brings it up again. But most of them are awkward, they're insecure. I don't think I know enough of the Bible. Maybe they've had really bad experiences with this. They tried and failed miserably and felt humiliated and and they didn't understand. And and so they they don't like to do it. In fact, we'll even be more honest, even though this great commission is assigned to all of us, most Christians don't do it. That only got worse as the cancel culture began to, to, to swell. And even some of the ones who would, you know, look for certain opportunities begin to kind of step back in the shadow, like, yeah, I'm really not signed up to get all, you know, all in the fray like this. And the, the bottom line is most Christians don't do it, and yet the Bible's really clear that we're supposed to. So here's what we're gonna do over the next few weeks as we study the public place, without any pressure on anybody, you have to hear that. Without any manipulation ever without ever sending you out the door with condemnation or feeling guilty. That's not my job. That's not what the Bible intends. I'm asking you, open up your heart, open up your eyes, and let's look at the scripture in a fresh way, and let's invite the Holy Spirit to come and help us. And there's three goals that that I want him to accomplish that I've already been praying, and I want you to join me in this. Number one, to help us to re-examine Bible truth about what does it really mean to be a witness for Jesus. Because some of us won't engage this because we've got these caricatures of what we think it means. Or what somebody has said it means, some passionate, you know, focused, well-meaning individual, and you think, I have to be that, and I'll never be that, and so therefore I can't do any of it. So we're going to look and say, what does the scripture say? Here's, here's the second one. We want to be reinvigorated in our heart as the Holy Spirit supernaturally transforms us to become a witness. Now that's, you're going to see that today. This is really important, because a lot of Christians think, well, I have to do it, and so I have to do it in my own strength. I've got to come up with the courage, and I've got to come up with the right method. I've got to somehow push myself out there, and you're going to see the Bible tells us different. But the reason we have to understand those two things so we can get to number three, we would love to rediscover or to discover for the first time the excitement of what it means to share our faith. And let me tell you why that's so important. Number one, because the gospel is the best news ever, It absolutely is, not just for eternity, but for right here. And number two, because one day you and I are going to stand in front of Jesus, look at him right in the eyeballs, and wouldn't it be wonderful to not go to heaven empty-handed? Wouldn't it be wonderful to not go to heaven and say, yeah, I know that Great Commission part. I never really got into that because that was just too weird. It was too awkward. Wouldn't it be great to hear him say, well done, well done. And then for the rest of eternity, you run into people, hey, you don't know this. But that little thing you said that one day, that little invite you handed me, that, that just that one little you know, time that you stood the test and everybody else was compromising and you decided to be the light and be the salt, I was watching you. And because of that, I made a decision in my life where I was able to stand firm in my faith and I'm here today partially because of you. See, now this, this is real life Bible stuff. And it's important, and we're going to look today about, about how to do that. In fact, this would be a good time for all of you introverts especially to say, oh Lord, increase our faith, right? Because we're going on this journey, and as much as I'm trying to give you a broad, you know, a scriptural, even a gracious view, it's uncomfortable, and I understand that. But stay with me and watch what happens as we begin to unpack the Scripture. In fact, we're going to start today, and you're going to see four truths about witnessing, maybe most of them you've never considered before, but they're four truths that help us to move into this area the way that God wants us to. All right, I ask you to turn to Mark chapter 1, and here's what you need to know about the Gospel of March. All the scholars agree that this is the shortest and most succinct of all four of the Gospels. In fact, one, uh, one that I read that I love, he compared it. It's like viewing someone's vacation pictures. And so you just see the highlights. Oh, we ate there. And then we went on this hike. And then we visited this wonderful, beautiful place. And then we came back to this, you know, wonderful resort we were staying at. But you don't get to see anything that happens in the middle. You're just kind of seeing the highlight reel. And Mark writes a lot like that. So we read stuff in Mark and we know it happened and we know it was great. We just don't always know why it happened. And you have to go to another gospel to understand that. And that's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to see something that the gospel of Mark just does a great job at succinctly giving us the highlights. Then we're going to go over to Luke to find out about why did that happen and how did that actually unfold. And together we'll find four really great truths. Mark chapter one, I'm going to start in verse number 14. It says, now after John, and here's the first example, that's John the Baptist. But he's going to assume we all know who John is, right? So after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, let me just stop and point out in this little short collection of verses, uh, uh, Mark's introducing two different individuals with two different messages, kind of cascading or connected messages. The first one is John the Baptist, who we find out in the first few verses of Mark. That John comes and he's breaking four hundred years of prophetic silence. Nobody has talked like this uh, since you know since since the Old Testament ended, but he breaks the silence and he starts preaching prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. And you'll see that up in verses one, uh, one two, and three. But then Jesus comes after him and really steps forward. When John's put in prison and stopped preaching, Jesus comes and continues the message. And he's now uh, praying, not just prepare because the Lord is coming. He says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is here. And he goes on and he says, repent and believe the gospel. In fact, the, the Christian English Bible says it uh, super plain. It says, now is the time. This is what Jesus is preaching. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust in the good news. So again, John's preaching, get ready because the Lord's going to come. Jesus comes and picks it up and says, okay, by the way, the kingdom is here. And if you don't pay attention, you're going to miss it. Let me kind of give you an example that will help uh, to frame something in for us. If you're an astronomy enthusiast, I'm I'm nearly not, uh, but I but I, I do understand. There's online astronomical calendars, uh, uh, yeah, calendars where these guys can predict years ahead, and they can tell you when things like solar eclipses are going to happen, and and uh, when the planets are going to align, and when we're going to get you know shooting stars, or and and it's all this wonderful planetary thing. In fact, so precise that if you wanted to, and many people do on a certain night that they say it's going to happen tonight, you can set your alarm and, you know, get up at two in the morning or three in the morning and walk outside in the freezing cold, sometimes with a naked eye, oftentimes with a telescope, and you can witness these amazing things that are happening in the sky. But what statistics say is most people don't. Most people read about it in a news article the next day or say, ah, that's kind of interesting, but they would just prefer to sleep right through it. Here's the point. Whether you're the one who wakes up, and you're front row seat, and you can't wait to see this thing, or you're the one who sleeps right through it, it's going to happen. It happens either way. And Jesus is preaching, and he's saying, hey, listen, the kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is moving. God's doing stuff, and if you don't wake up, you're going to miss it. In fact, that's exactly what Paul's preaching in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14, where he says, therefore, Awake you who sleep and arise from the dead and let Christ give you light. Other translations say, and Christ will turn the lights on. So you can see the show because God's moving all around us. This great commission, this kingdom of God is moving forward. But there is a whole ton of Christians that are just sleeping right through it. And they don't really know that God's doing anything. They're not paying attention, but God's on the march and God's moving. So Jesus is preaching, hey, listen, God's kingdom's here and moving. And if you don't wake up, you're gonna miss it. Okay, now hold on to that thought and let's keep on reading. We're in Mark chapter one, verse 16 now. He says, and as he, that's Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus came and said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. You're like, wait, what? Like he just saw him for the first time. And he's just been preaching down the beach a little bit. And he says, Hey, I see you guys are professional fishermen. Yeah, I get all that. But listen, drop all that stuff, leave your business, just walk away from it all and come follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. You're like, what, what does that even mean? If you keep going in the next two verses, he does the same thing to a couple of other guys, James, the son of uh, Zebedee and John. And they did the same thing. They immediately dropped what they were doing. In fact, left their dad standing in the boat with the other workers in their fishing crew. And they just walked away and followed Jesus. You're like, why are they doing that? And I know some of you are kind of a step ahead of me. You're thinking, well, duh, because Jesus was the Messiah. But the problem is they didn't know that. We don't find that out till later on in the gospel when Jesus stands on a mountain and he says, who's everybody saying that I am? And then who do you think I am? And Peter blurts out, you're Christ, the son of the living God, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, yep, you're 100% right, but you didn't know that until this moment. And you didn't know that because you're so smart. You knew that because God just whispered something in your heart and you knew something you don't even know how you know it. And so they didn't know who he was. And yet Jesus just marches out and says, hey, hey guys, hey listen, drop what you're doing and follow me and listen to what he says. He says, I will make you fishers of men. Again, what does that even mean? We, we, we know, but they didn't have a context for it. We don't, we didn't, if we're standing there with them, we're like, wait, what? Now it, it would have been different if Jesus would have said, follow me and I'm going to make you guys more spiritual. I'm going to help you guys to be everything you've ever wanted to be. I'm going to make sure that you guys get healed up. I'm going to make sure you guys can be the best you that you, you ever wanted to be. I'm going to make sure that your business is more successful. I'm going to make sure your relationships are in harmony. I'm going to do some wonderful stuff. If he would have said that, that might make sense. Because if we're honest, isn't that what we signed up for? I mean, come on, let's just have a real conversation this morning. How many of you, and, and if you are, raise your hand. How many of you would, would, could, could say and raise your hand, yep, you know, I came to Christ because I wanted to be a fisher of men. That, that's, what, that's what put me over. I thought, no, I, I want to be a fisher of men. And the answer is really nobody. In fact, out of the four truths, here's the first truth you have to let sink in. No one signs up to fish. Not anyone signs up to do this. Nobody walks in. And yet, at the same time, I want you to notice, and you can, you can read further and do your own research, Jesus is consistent and clear about his invitation, follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Now, again, there's not any biblical evidence, not in any of the gospels, not anywhere else, that they knew what this meant. In fact, I'm going to take a wild guess, an educated one, that it probably went right over their heads, just like it went over our heads. When we received Jesus as our savior, we weren't thinking about fishing for men. We were thinking about what Jesus could do for us, what he promised he would do for us, what he was doing in our hearts right there at the moment. So the question is, why did they follow him? And that's where we have to go to Luke chapter five. We're going to get a little more detail and help us to see something. So in Luke chapter five, here's what we're going to find out. I'll just kind of you know, give you a preview of what we're about to see. They followed him for the same reasons we followed him because Jesus promised he would do something, because Jesus was doing something for them in the moment, and Jesus ultimately did something, and we're going to see this very clear. I'm in Luke chapter 5 now, and we're going to start in verse number 1. I'm going to read about 10 verses, and we're just going to let the whole story unfold itself. Uh, I may or may not make some comments. We'll see. It says, so it was, as the multitude pressed about him, now that's Jesus they're talking about, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, later renamed Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he, that's Jesus still, sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night long, and we caught nothing. And I imagine there was an awkward pause as Jesus just stood there looking at him and didn't, didn't change his mind, didn't explain, just kind of let that hover. And, and Peter said, okay, then nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners, now pay attention to that, um, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, the partner's boat as well as Peter's boat, both boats, so that they both began to sink. And when Simon Peeper saw it, saw what? He saw that. He's a fisherman, a professional fisherman right? And he, he's had a really rough night. He's exhausted. He didn't catch a thing. And yet Jesus comes and says, hey, try that one more time. And he did. And he not only caught a net full, he caught a net so full it was breaking. And he had to call partners to come help him. And it filled both boats to the point that these boats were starting to take on water. And when Peter saw that, Peter fell down at Jesus' knees and said, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished. That means they were stunned. They were blown away. They couldn't, just couldn't wrap their head around what had just happened. They were astonished at the catch of fish. Not at how spiritual Jesus was. Not when they looked up. There was a circle of glowing light around his head. Not anything like that. They were astonished at the catch of fish. Which they had taken. And so also were James and John. The sons of Zebedee. Sound familiar? They were in Mark. Who were the partners of Simon. And Jesus said to Simon. Do not be afraid. Here's the line. For from now on you will catch men. So. When they had brought their boats to land, they forsook everything and followed him. And you look and he's like, okay, I've got more of the story, but what? What? Jesus looks at him and says, you like that, huh? You like all the fish and that, that puts you guys back on track, made up for at least one night of bad fishing, right? This is, this is a good thing. No, he didn't say any of that. He just said, don't be afraid, follow me because you're going to catch men. And that was enough for them they left everything immediately. Now, again, we look back and the stories couldn't be clearer. What, was, what blew them away was the fact that Jesus made a difference in their life. They, they might have actually had the thought, or I'm guessing it was there, but it wasn't like a conscious thought. They probably thought something like, I have no idea what this catching men thing's all about, but if you can do that in my life, if you can help my life to kind of get on track in a whole bunch of areas, I'm in. And they immediately left and followed him. And this is important for us to see, because listen to me, that's the same reason we followed him. We didn't follow him to be a witness. We didn't follow him to be salt and light. And we followed him because we had a deficit we had something that was gnawing at us, something that was keeping us up at night, something that was empty, a big hole on the inside, and we needed it to be filled, and we met Jesus, and something inside said, here's the one, here's the thing, here's the relationship that you always needed and never knew it, and all of a sudden, man, we, we knew it on the inside, and we, we, we committed our life to God because of what he did for us in that moment, what he promised to do for us, and, uh, and and, and, it, and the rest is history. And we started walking away from there. Listen, it's important that we recognize this because all of these things, all, all of these real personal tangibles are the beginning of our story. But listen to me, I can promise you, if we all go back to that initial beginning, fishing was not part of it. Didn't make the list. Wasn't part of the testimony that you shared for everyone. And yet, Jesus was very clear from the beginning. Here's truth number two. Fishing is part of following. It's connected. Forever connected. You can't escape that. It's absolutely what Jesus wants you to do. In fact, he began in Mark chapter one. We see it again here in Luke chapter five. He said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, right about the time when I say fishing's part of following and some of you are starting to feel that pressure and that squeeze again, let me just say, take a deep breath because I want to show you something that most of us miss. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Not follow me and start figuring out how do you get out there and fish. Not find the courage and just push past all your insecurities and doesn't matter what you think, just get out there and fish. You just got to do it. That's not what he said at all, ever by the way. But he says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And this is amazing news for so many Christians, especially those who have just kind of pushed it to the side and say, yeah, that's not my gig. Now, I just don't, that's not me. I'm not cut out like that. I'm not going to do that. Here's what he said. When he said, I will make, it comes from the Greek word poeo, which you can hear this because it's where we get the word poem or the word poet. And it's talking about something that is creatively formed, something that's innovatively fashioned, something that's constructed or produced with great intentionality and great great innovation. In other words, we're not talking about just some cookie cutter mold. We're not talking about someone as God just and witness, 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 and everybody does it the same. But listen, if you don't know that and you're just out in the Christian culture at large, you could very easily get the idea that witnessing has to look a certain way. And if you don't do that, you're not really courageous. You don't really love Jesus. In fact, some pull these scriptures and throw it in. And by the way, remember what the Lord said, if you're ashamed of him, then he's ashamed of you. Whoa, 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 Talk about out of context. But, but this is where we live, right? And so we, do, we need to come back and we need to recognize fishing is part of follow, following. Nobody signed up to fish. But Jesus includes this promise and says, if you'll follow me, if you'll open your heart, I will creatively, innovatively, I will resourcefully, I'll work through your personality, through your temperament, through where you're at in this stage of the journey, through the context of other people that I have you walking in and out of their lives and opportunities. I'll take all of that together and I'll make you, I'll teach you how to become a fisher of men. And this is really important. Now, I I can think of right away some great examples of fishing. And I mean some really, really good ones. One of them is, uh, he's working the the screen this morning. Uh, Some of you know Matthew Tillery. He's my nephew, by the way. But I'm telling you, this young man is a fisherman extraordinaire. I I don't even like to go with him sometimes because we'll be in a Starbucks or something and by the time we get out there, he's talked to three people and prayed for two others and people are getting saved and there's a revival started at a local Starbucks and I'm like, I'm a pastor, but gee, this guy, he knocks it out of the park. And if I'm not careful, my temptation is to measure myself against Matthew and say, Boy, I I I don't I could never become that. Well, I have to keep open. I have to say, Lord, grow me and use me, but He does it in my personality, in my temperament. I can't use things that are hang-ups for me as an excuse not to engage. But also, I can't feel the pressure to imitate what someone else does as God is growing them creatively, artistically, innovatively, teaching them how they can continue to become a disciple and to win others for Christ. I know lots of other people in our congregation, businessmen, school teachers, uh, home, home, homeschool moms and things, where they may not be as outspoken, but they are witnesses nonetheless, they hold the line, their salt, their light, and, and sprinkle throughout their life, they have people coming to them and saying, listen, I, I just had this thing I'm wrestling with. And they have these really in, important, really strategic, targeted opportunities to, to, to share the gospel, sometimes even leading a person to Christ, praying with them right there. But listen, I look at, 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 a, at my nephew, Matt Tillery, and I look at these people and I say, which one's the better witness? Oh, both of them. They're different because Jesus said, I'm not doing cookie cutter stuff. If you happen to be this extrovert and you just love being out there, well, then God might shape you in a certain way. If you're an introvert and you kind of keep to yourself all the time, well, God will shape you differently, but make no mistake, following is part of fishing, and Jesus promised nobody gets to escape this. But you have to trust me and let me shape in you. Let me move in you. And and here's the second part. He says, I will, will make you to become. That doesn't even sound like it's great grammar. And maybe it's not in the English context. But when you get to the original language, this is super important because the the word become is this Greek word genomai, and it refers to an act, something that starts at a certain point of time. There's an activation point, a switch is flipped, and this thing takes off. But then from that point on, it perpetually keeps going in further forward progress and development ad infinitum. It never stops. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to do something creative, I'm going to do some innovative, I'm going to take your temperament and your personality and where you're at in the journey and I'm going to understand every, all the baggage you bring with you but if you'll trust me, I'm going to do something supernaturally in you so that something will begin to initiate and you'll begin to take this step-by-step journey, perpetually learning to become passionate and more proficient about sharing your faith. In fact, this word's so powerful, it's the same word that's used in Philippians chapter 2 verse 7. When it's talking about Jesus who in eternity past, the Bible says, lived as deity. He was God. He's the one that actually fashioned and shaped the worlds. And Hebrews talks about how involved he was in that. And yet there was a certain point of time that the Bible says he walked away from all of that. And he was implanted in this young virgin ma- uh, womb named Mary. And the Bible says he grew in her womb. And here, here's the word, being made in the likeness of men. That word made is ginomai. It was a slow nine-month cell-by-cell DNA connection process, but he developed, and this is what the Bible's saying to us. He's saying there's no pressure. There's no pressure to say, okay, that's it, tomorrow, I'm just going to hit the local supermarkets, and I'm going to find five people. No, no, hold on for a second. If the Holy Spirit begins to prompt us, and the Holy Spirit begins to direct us, then we want to step-by-step learn to lean into that, but the promise is you don't have to be under pressure. And more importantly, you don't have to live under guilt or condemnation because the way somebody else is witnessing is not the way you're witnessing. You need to pay attention, to the Lord, and say, Lord, remember all that stuff that I came to you for and you promised you would do? Yeah, all those things I need healing and I need financial help and I need restoration in relationships and I need you to make me the person I'm supposed to be from the inside to the out. All those things that you promised me, that's why I signed up. Let me put this one back on the list. I have no idea how to fish for men. I don't want to fish for men. It's repulsive to me. It's awkward to me. I feel intimidated by it. But it's as impossible as it is, let me put it on the list of all the other things that I couldn't pull off by myself. And let me take advantage of your promise because you said if I would follow you, you would do something supernatural in me. And you would do it in a way that fits my personality and fits my temperament. And you do it in a step-by-step progression that starts the moment I open my heart and goes all the way until I, 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 until I, go, I go to be with you. I'll learn to get more confident and see opportunities sharper and step into them with less hesitation and be able to have the right thing to say in the right, in the right moment, in the right way. And I'll begin to see people come to Jesus because this is what you promised me that you would do. Which leads me to truth number three, You've already heard it. Jesus promised to make us fishers of men. So nobody signed up for it, right? And we don't really know how to do this. But fishing is part of following it. We, we have to do it. We can see, see the tension there. And yet Jesus eases that tension when he says, no, no, you just trust me. I promise you, I will do this in you. Now, I, I may be at this point and some of you are saying, yeah, I, I get it. But I'm telling you, man, I'm really twisted up. I'm, that's just not me. I don't want to fish. In fact, I'm getting nervous just listening to this more and more. And I want you to say, I get it. I totally get that. I kind of grew up in some of the same way. I have some horrible fishing stories. When I was a kid and they just, you know, take us, hey, this is witnessing Saturday, and they drop us off with a stack of tracks and said, you know, you, you need to go and knock at every door and you need to present the gospel to them. And if they slam the door in your face, you need to praise the Lord and dust your feet off, you know, and go to the next house. And, but when we got back, it was like, okay, how many people did you get to say the sinner's prayer? And I'll be honest with you, I was too afraid to say, nobody, nobody. In fact, I'm knocking on the door hoping that nobody will answer. And a few of them did. And the conversation didn't go well. And so I walked away, but I wasn't going to tell him that. And so not only did I not fulfill what I felt like was a quota, I lied about it. How many people did you get? I don't know, I lost count, you know, a few. There's a couple there, I'm pretty sure they they were thinking about it as they walked away and I could see their mouth moving. I'm pretty sure that they, I just stumbled around because I knew I was supposed to do something, but I didn't know what I was supposed to do. So I'm super sensitive to people that are saying, yeah, I I don't wanna do this, but listen to me. If you are afraid or if you're all twisted up and you think that's impossible, it doesn't even appeal to me, I have no passion for it and you leave it right there, that's where you stay. But if you'll recognize the impossibility of it and you'll take that into the secret place and you'll say, here's here's the honest truth, God. I don't know how to do that. I'm afraid to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't know how I can be successful in my business or keep some of the relationships going if I need to be that salt and that light. That's so challenging I can't even wrap my head around it and I start freaking out every time I think about it. But I'm bringing that in the secret place because honestly, it's not any more important than you teaching me how to be a better husband because I'm not a good one. It's not any more impossible for you teaching me how to be a great wife or teaching me how do I get my finances in order? How do I recover from all these mistakes and all this lost time? How do I get back on track? Those are impossible to me. And yet I'm watching you step by step change something in my heart and begin to impact my circumstances. Okay, I'm going to put this one back on the list because if you don't get it back on the list, you don't take the pressure off yourself and say, Jesus, this is what you said. And you're missing the point of what Jesus said in the first place. Follow me. I'll take on the pressure. I'll make you something that you're not. And not only will I do it one time, I'll continue this. So you'll, you'll be amazed. You'll look years down the line and you'll look back and you'll think, I don't know how in the world I got to be this way, but I actually look forward to being able to share my faith. I look forward to people coming and saying, hey, uh, how do you do this? And 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 what would you do in this situation? Because I know that the Holy Spirit's setting me up and he's going to use me in, in this particular thing. Uh, and listen, we're not talking about methods or techniques. It's an amazing thing. I looked all over the New Testament, starting in the Gospels. I don't see methods and techniques. We we've drawn some that have really helped us, right? So we have the four steps and and, and the Roman road, and 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 those are great. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to marginalize them. But what Jesus was saying is, I'm not talking about learning some technique. I'm not talking about how to listen to a conversation and find, you know, every entrance point. Uh, You know what? Yeah, I hear what you're saying about your dog. Do you know that reminds me of Jesus? What? Because we're just looking for every opportunity. We're not talking about methods. We're talking about trusting Jesus to do something supernatural. To do something from the inside out. And by the way, we know that he will do this. Because if you keep reading the New Testament, that's exactly what he did for these guys. They didn't know how to fish. They didn't even know what this meant. And yet you get into the book of Acts, which are the acts or the actions of the the, the disciples, the apostles, how they actually lived this out. And you find out that these four guys that are specifically listed, plus eight other guys who had no clue what it meant to be a fisher of men, they started just learning to follow Jesus and he made them to become fishers of men. And they turned around and they taught other people, hey, listen, if you just follow him and you keep your heart open, he'll do something on the inside of you and he'll teach you how to become a fisher of men. And those people did that, who turned around and taught other people to do it, who turned around and taught other people to do it. And here we are 2,000 years later, halfway across the world, and we're sitting here in the sanctuary because somebody fished. Because somebody stepped out of their comfort zone. Because somebody decided to do what Jesus said. Now, listen, there are lots of mistakes, right? It is a learning. He's going to make you start becoming. So it's a journey, and it's, it's almost funny to, to watch the disciples. There's so many funny, kind of messed up fishing stories. I, I just wrote down a few. In Mark chapter 9, the disciples think, boy, this is a great opportunity, and they're going to cast a demon out of this boy so that his father, you know, can, can be free and rejoice in the Lord and kind of experience, you know, the boat loaded with fishes like they did, and the crowd will be amazed, and they would all know know that Jesus is who he says he is and they tried to cast the demon out and the demon's like yeah I'm leaving in fact he threw the little boy down and the little guy he was in worse shape these guys were freaking out and Jesus walked out and he's like or walked up and he said hey what's going on we tried to cast the demon out and he wouldn't budge and Jesus asked them well did you guys pray first oh now what do you think about that you gotta pray you got to pray, you got to be in tune, you got to be able to know what you're dealing with and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And so Jesus went ahead and cast him out. One chapter later, in Mark chapter 10, you know, they're, they're trying to get ready for a big meeting and the multitudes are coming and, and the kids are running amok and being crazy and some of them start running toward Jesus and the disciples step in. whoa, 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 no kids, no kids in this area. These are grown-up things here, no kids in this area. And Jesus comes up, it's like, what are you doing? He said, man, I was totally excited to start the whole thing by telling the kids, come up front. I want to pray for you. I want to bless you. Just want to give you a big hug and tell you how much God loves you, how important you are. And you just messed the whole thing up. They scattered all over. And the disciples like, ah, oh, all right, come on, let's go get the kids. Go get the kids. And so now they're saying, come back, come back. This stuff happened all the time over and over again. Here's one that's really popular. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is headed for Jerusalem and he tells them, hey guys, this is kind of the last time we're going to go to Jerusalem together because when I get there, I'm going to lay down my life. And Peter right away just jumps up and literally the Bible says, gets right in Jesus's faith and said, and says, listen, I can't let you do that, Jesus. And Jesus is like, what? Dude, what team are you playing for here? He said, you are so contradictory and said, in fact, I think you're for Satan's team right now. Get to the back of the line until you figure out and you can get back on the same page. And Peter's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And listen, and the New Testament is full of stories about imperfect people who were trying to grow and become who God had called them to be. Some were tax collectors. I mean, there's prostitutes in there. There's demonized guys that nobody knew what to do with. And Jesus ministered to them and said, follow me and I'll teach you to become. And all of a sudden these guys are sitting there in their right mind, sober thinking, cleaned up, dressed nice. And they're like, hey, let me tell you what happened to me. Jesus, Jesus helped us. I mean, it's just all over the Bible, right? But nobody did it perfect. But every single one of them opened their heart and said, this is impossible. I don't even know what that means. I don't even think I want to do this. But if you'll help me, and they opened up their heart. And over time, Jesus developed them into passionate and proficient fishers of men. And he did it in a way that he took their personality and their temperament, and he said, this is how I want to use you. It'll look different than this person, but this is how I want to use you. Just trust me and follow me. And little by little, they they begin to edge out. And listen, again, I've already said this once, but the only reason we're sitting here is because at some point, someone in some way came and shared the gospel with us. They fished, and because of that, we're here. In fact, let's just take a minute and, and think about how amazing this is and how, how involved God was in it, even though it might not have seemed like this spectacular moment, and you might have even just marginalized it and focused on the fact that, that Jesus was in your life and did something because, yeah, that definitely outshines everything. But think about the moment that you came to Christ, whether that was a first-time salvation or for me, what stands out was more of a rededication for me. When I kind of made, made a decision, a no turning back decision, think about that moment and, and here's what you're going to find out, okay? More than likely, not, not exclusively, but more than likely, you'd probably heard the gospel before. You, you, you probably heard about Jesus, you probably felt that little tug in your heart, you may not have known what it was, but you felt that before. And we know that that's often the case, because in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that there's, there's usually multiple opportunities that the Holy Spirit's doing to get our heart conditioned right, but all leading up to the one moment when we finally make the decision. But in that moment, four things had to come together. You had to hear the right message, in the right way, from the right person at the right time. And I guarantee you, you didn't pull that together. And I can also guarantee you, the one who was bringing the message didn't pull it together either. They might've been shaking in their boots. Okay, Lord, I hope this is you. I hope this is a good thing. I hope I'm going to say the right thing. But they stepped out as the Holy Spirit was doing something in them and giving them a little nudge. Come on, I'm right here with you. Just all I want you to say is this. Just just share that one thing. Okay, but they're probably going to think I'm dumb, but whatever. I'll just, I'll share it anyway. And all of a sudden it was the right thing and God did an amazing thing. Did you notice know exactly what Jesus was describing in Acts chapter one, verse eight. Listen to what he said. He's talking to those original 12 and he said, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, that's Jesus stepping in and saying, I'm going to make you become something. I'll do it. Keep your heart open now. I'm going to do it from the inside out. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come on you. Listen to this. And you will be my witnesses. And then he goes on and he just starts outlining these concentric circles. They were in Jerusalem or about to enter Jerusalem when he said this. He said, you're going to start right where you are in Jerusalem. That would be your own family, your own little circles, your gathering place, learning how to to, to share what the Holy Spirit's saying and be an encouragement there and, and just learning all of those spiritual mechanics but he said also in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But I want you to notice he said that you will be, or some translations say, become my witnesses. It doesn't even say you will do witnessing. That's part of it. But it says you will become my witness. Now, I'm not saying this in an exact translation, but it's really close, close enough where we're not stretching anything. I want you to picture a courtroom. And I want you to picture the fact that you're there because you got subpoenaed because you're part of a witness list. And the prosecuting attorney is calling his witnesses to prove a certain case. And it's your turn and your name is called and you step up and you're asked to raise your right hand. Most of them still do that. And you're asked to repeat this. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Listen to the last part so help me God or in other words what you're saying is with the help of God I'm going to need help doing this I'm going to need him to give me clear thinking. I'm going to need him to give me courage because I'm not used to talking in front of a whole bunch of people, especially not, you know, in a weighty, legal, libel situation. And so I'm going to need the Holy Spirit to kind of steal my nerves and focus my brain. And, but, but if God will help me, then I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God. Do you know the only reason you're sitting here is because someone was called at a certain moment in time and the Holy Spirit said, just tell them the truth. And They did. They told you the truth. Now, they didn't tell you everything about everything in your life. They weren't responsible for that. Lots of times you sit on a witness stand. I've done it a couple of times. You sit on a witness stand and they ask you a question. I don't know about that. I, don't, I wasn't there. I didn't hear that conversation. Nope. I, I came after that. I didn't see any of that. I'm only responsible as a witness to say what I know and what I experienced. And that's it. But when I'm called, it's crucial that I absolutely say that. And when the Holy Spirit gives us these opportunities, part of God helping us to become fishers of men is if we take all the pressure off ourselves and say, I'm not here to preach a big sermon. I'm not here to get anybody to believe anything, really. I'm here to share what I saw, what I experienced, what I know to be true since Jesus has come into my life. And then I walk away. Listen, they may not like to hear it. They may laugh at you and mock you while you're trying to tell them, you, you may be the joke of the office, you know, for a while later, but I'm telling you, this is, what, this is what you bring to the table. And if you'll do that, you're somewhere in a line of credible witnesses that the Holy Spirit is bringing to this individual. And you may be the one, or you may be earlier in the line that leads up to the one, but at some point, somebody will say the truth and that person will open up their life to Jesus Christ. This is how it works. And by the way, you're on that witness list in a very real way, no one else is coming. You're the one the Holy Spirit chooses to say, I need you to testify right here. I need you to say what this is like. I wonder how many lives would already be in the kingdom if we wouldn't run away, we would have just shared the truth. Just a little story. Not got all twisted up, I don't know, I've got to get saved and what if they want to get saved, I don't even know how to do it. We're just there to say what we've experienced, and what the Lord's done in our life, and we walk away. No preaching. Again, no pressure. No no saying, you got to believe this because no, no, that's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job to convince them. But listen, but no more caving into fear. No more getting so caught up in our own version, the caricature of what we think it looks like, that we freak ourselves out and we talk ourselves out of it. No more doing that, just keeping our heart open and say, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to make me into this because I do not know how to do it. Let me give you a quick story and we'll bring this to a close. Uh, there was a time that in my early 20s, in fact, it was when I was about 20 years old, that, man, my mom and dad and I got, just got sideways with each other. And I remember, I, unannounced, I, everybody left for work one morning. When they got home, I wasn't there, and my room was cleaned out. I left because I just had my own ideas about how things needed to be, and, uh, and, I, and I went off. And I moved uh, into a friend's house about 45 minutes away from my parents' house, and for about two years... I, I, I rarely talked to them. I wouldn't take their phone calls. If I did pick up the phone, because we didn't have caller ID back then, and I heard their voice, I would hang up right away. I mean, I was just, I was going through stuff, right? And I was pretty cold. Uh, but one morning, it was like 5.30 in the morning, the sun wasn't even up, and I was sneaking out of my house to get in my truck, to head to the shop, uh, to go on to a job site. And uh, I see this car coming down the street, and, uh, and he pulls up and stops next to me, and it's my brother, Jerry. And I'm like, what are you? 45 minutes away. What are you doing here? And he just says, hey, listen, I was just in the neighborhood. Laugh, laugh. And he tosses what, now some of you don't know what this is. They used to have sermon series packaged in things called cassette tapes right? And, and they'd come in sets. And so this was like six of them. And he tossed something out the window to me. He said, hey, I listened to this series of teachings and just thought you would like it. And before I could toss it back into his window, which I was fully planning to do, he just drove off. And I watched him drive off and I'm like, Wh- whatever, you know. So I tossed him in the floorboard to- board of my truck and they stayed there for about two weeks. Until I was on some job site way out in the middle of nowhere. Couldn't even get a radio station. And the silence was unbearable to me. And so I plugged in one of those tapes. And 45 minutes later, I had to pull over to the side of the road. Because the word of God had penetrated my heart. I devoured that tape series, all six of my list to him, over and over and over and over again. I don't know how many times until one day, I was done with my job and I, I drove straight home, went to the room that I that I was staying in, shut the door and literally collapsed to my knees, and said, "All right, save me. I'm so tangled up. I'm doing well on the outside, but inside, I'm so twisted and I'm so angry and I'm so." tangled up, I just need you to wash me clean, and God did a miracle in my life. My brother didn't even get to preach to me, (laughs) didn't get to share anything with me, just tossed a tape series out the window, and I, you know, he said a couple of things, but, but, like while he was tossing them, because he knew I'd toss them right back, and he left. Listen, that, that, was, that was witnessing, because some of you were thinking, yeah, but, but I get all that stuff, Pastor, but you don't understand. I, 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 I'm just, I'm not the right person, right? I, have a, I have a, just have a really bad history, or I've got such a good, sparkling life that who's going to want to hear that testimony? Boring, you know? Or I've only been Christian for a little while. I don't know enough. Or some of you are like, I've been a Christian a long time. I'm pretty set in my ways. I just don't think this is me. And and I get all that stuff. And you're thinking, yeah, but I don't know if I qualify. Here's truth number four. And here's just the shocking reality. You're the perfect person for this job because we were all fish once. You remember what it's like to be lost. You remember what it's like to be hurting. You remember what it's like to say, God, I just need somebody to care. I need somebody to help me. You remember what that's like. In fact, we won't read it this morning, but Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse 10, you go read it later. Paul literally is talking to this church who knows a lot about the the Bible by then, knows a lot about God's word by then. And yet he says to them, yeah, but it hasn't been that long ago where you remember what it's like to be on the outside looking in. And yet God found you and God moved someone to come and bring you the message. And because of that, you're now part of the covenant of God. And again, I know some of you are still, you're saying, man, I I get it. And my heart wants to go, but, but I'm still not going to, it just freaks me out. And I want to reiterate what I said at the beginning. Okay, I get it. You're getting no pressure from me. I didn't call you to be a fisher of men. And I didn't promise you I was going to make you a fisher of men. I can't do that. But I just want you to say, listen to me, instead of leaving it there and just kind of slamming the door and locking it up tight, would would you just do what you're doing with the other areas of your life? Would you open up your heart? Would you recognize the Holy Spirit's not going to force you or pressure you to do anything, but would you open up your heart and would you say, Lord, would you somehow help me to become passionate? Would you help me to get past all this fear and this insecurity and maybe the past hurts and the disappointments and the really bad fishing stories? Would you help me to warm back up again and teach me how to share my faith? Because if you'll do that, if you'll start transforming me from the inside out, just like you've done in a bunch of other areas and you're still doing it, then okay, Lord, I'm going to open up my heart and trust you. And I'm going to let you do that. In fact, have a homework assignment, not very spiritual, but it'll soften your heart and open up. Here's what I want you to do. And you don't have to, obviously, but it's a homework. Um, I want you to, to sit down sometime this week and write a short letter to the person that was influential in helping you to come to Christ. Tell them where you were. Tell them what was going on in your life. Tell them what a difference what they said or what they did made on that particular day and how somehow Jesus penetrated all the stuff that was going on and you were able to give your life to him and then tell them what a difference that made and thank him and appreciate him for that. Now, if, if, if this, somebody would have given me this homework probably, you know, 15 years ago, I would have said, I don't, I'm just not into that. I don't do that stuff. But someone did give it to me and it was personal and they challenged me. They said, just try it. And so I did. They even told me this and I'll extend it. They said, you don't even have to mail this letter. That's not even the point. The point is that you take the time to remember what it was like to be someone who was lost and that someone cared enough to fish and helped you to get into the boat. And so here's what I'm gonna do is end the service. It'll only take two or three minutes, but I told you about when my brother Jerry tossed those tape series to me and he, he never even knew. He didn't hear from me for you know, a month and a half. And I finally called him. He said, Man, I, I just figured you were mad at me and you didn't want to talk to me anymore. And he said, I'm like, Okay, God, whatever. I thought I did the right thing, but obviously not. And, and so I, uh, I sat down, I took the challenge, and I sat down and I wrote a letter. And uh, to this day, I can't read the letter without crying because God so profoundly used such a simple little thing to bring me back to the Lord, and I've never been the same again. Let me, let me do the best I can to get through the letter. Bear with me, it only took a couple minutes. Dear Jerry, it's early in the morning here in South Carolina. The sun's peeking over the horizon and painting the pond a soft pink as the geese begins to make ripples in the once glassy surface. It's all very peaceful. It's very serene, perfectly accenting my time with the Lord. However, as I sat reflecting on the scriptures in today's journal reading, my mind drifted back to a season of my life that was not so peaceful, and on the impact that you had in God turning things around. Isn't it interesting how two boys can live in the same house, eat the same food, share the same memories, and yet as they venture into manhood, find their feet on two different paths, the life that once seemed so simple suddenly grows really complex, confusing, (laughs) and full of shadows I was the oldest I was accustomed to and felt responsible for blazing the trail I was supposed to show you the way so how did I get so far off course little brothers are always showing up in the oddest places it just seems to be part of your job so I guess I wasn't totally surprised when you showed up at the house where I was was renting at 5.30am in the morning Part of your job, part of my job as a big brother was always telling you to stop following me and to go back home and leave me alone. But for some reason on that morning, I couldn't get the words out of my mouth. I was glad you were there, even if I didn't show it. You didn't say much, something about thinking I might enjoy a Bible study series and that you had recently heard. You tossed the series of tapes out to me and told me that you loved me and were praying for me and you drove off down the street. I can still remember standing there watching your car disappear around the corner, tears streaming down my face. While I couldn't show it at the time, big brothers sometimes have difficulty with this. I was struggling. I really wanted you to stay because I really needed help. But pushing back the emotions, I hopped into my truck and tossed the tapes on the floorboard where they stayed for a couple of weeks. If it wasn't It wasn't until I found myself in the middle of nowhere not able to get a radio station that I remembered them and thought, well, anything's better than silence. I really can't remember what I said or how or what was said or how I heard it. But something at that point found its way into my heart. And for the next few weeks, I listened to those tapes over and over again until late one afternoon on the bedroom floor of the place where I was staying. I cried like a little baby and gave my heart back to God the tears still flow easy every time I think about it. Jerry, I know that I have told you this before, but this morning it didn't seem right to keep it all to myself. You may never truly know how much your obedience on that morning meant to me and still means to me. It was an important part of God's timing and strategy to get me back on track. Had you tried to preach, I would have shut you down. But what do you do with a little brother who just simply reaches out and loves you thank you for not giving up it made all the difference in the world I'm forever grateful Gil church it's so imperative that you fish there's people everywhere around us they're not going to show you they probably won't talk about it but the darker the world gets the more desperate they become they just need you to be who God's called you to be tell the truth The whole truth, nothing but the truth, not your truth, not the cultural truth, but tell them the truth about what Jesus has done and is doing in your life. Because the reality is in some way, no one else is coming. You're it. You're the salt. You're the light that God's choosing to come and make a difference in this world. And as much as God promises that he will make you a fisher of men, God will take those fishing expeditions and he'll add them up until people literally will come and find out what a gracious, wonderful, loving God that we serve. Stand to your feet this morning and let me pray as we get started in this series. And after I'm finished praying, we're going to worship together and the altar team will cut back up for some of you that might, uh, might need agreement in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for letting us be part of this story. Lord, we're gonna change our minds with the Holy Spirit's help We don't witness because we have to. We witness because we get to. We witness because something happens in our life and we just can't keep it to ourselves. When the opportunity's there, we have to be able to share and then we watch you step in, Holy Spirit, and do what you can. I'm asking in the name of Jesus to heal every hurt, to erase every confusion, every pressure, every condemnation and guilt and manipulation. Lord, just erase all of that start this over again and help us, Lord Jesus, to be vulnerable enough to allow you to make us to become fishers of men. We thank you in advance for all of the lives that will make it into the kingdom because we we had a part to play. In Jesus' name, amen.